1: Hi, welcome to the show, but before we get started, let's talk about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Bob Seska Show. Here's the deal. The Bob Seska Show is almost entirely fueled by our Patreon subscribers, and we couldn't do four plus shows per week without your generous financial support. If you dig what you hear today, please consider signing up for just $1 per month or maybe even $5 per month on our Patreon page depending on your pledge you'll get all kinds of bonus content from me and my troop of co-hosts plus it's the best place to contact me in person as we continue to post exclusive content like our post-mortem shows twice per week as well as the friday after party podcast and commercial free versions of this podcast so get going again that's com, or just click the all caps patreon link beneath the logo at com. and now let the cartoons begin Recorded live in the USA, covering the whole wide world. Right
0: on! This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com.
1: From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, June 23, 2021, and this is the interview edition of The Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, what's up? My name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello. Day 155 of the Biden-Harris administration, 502 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska and on Twitter at BobSeska underscore go. So the great Larry Charles is here today, and it's still completely blows me away that i'm on a first name basis with the guy who directed borat and who wrote some of my favorite 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 episodes of seinfeld life is so goddamn weird uh larry's also the host and producer of larry charles dangerous world of comedy on netflix it's a must watch series oh my god so damn important he's also a great follow on instagram at larry charles well today we're going to talk about QAnon, covid and psd a topic we've been discussing on the show Uh, the American apartheid that's underway, and the role of the media and all of that. And of course, I have to ask Larry about Kramer from Seinfeld and whether he would have participated in the insurrection with all the other Q adherents. So stand by for action. Meanwhile, if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe to our bonus content at patreon.com slash bobseskashow. Okay, let's catch up with one of my favorite people in the whole wide world and a hell of a nice guy. Here comes the great Larry Charles. Do you want video? No, no, just audio is fine. Um, I don't really do video, so you can take your pants off, Larry.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I was thinking about the Jeffrey Tubin thing, but I, I'll, I'll restrain myself.
1: <laughs> How did that guy end up back on television? W- were there not enough commentators? Did they?
0: It's shocking, isn't it? Yeah. But you know, we we allow so much now. We we kind of look the other way. We've we've just sort of given up, really, on some level. Not only
1: does he embarrass himself? Not only does he embarrass CNN, but then we have to run around and pretend like, you know, we have to distance ourselves from that. And then when we end up in a debate with some Republican somewhere on Twitter, they're like, oh yeah, well, Jeffrey Tubin, one of your guys took his dick out.
0: I'm like, ah, yeah.
1: shit, now we can't say anything about Trump.
0: <laughs> <Right>? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it really does kind of hurt the cause in a lot of ways. And yeah. also, you're, you know, if there's something larger afoot here that, you know, look, masturbate before the meeting, masturbate after the meeting, That's you know, right. but you can you not, rest- you're a grown man, you cannot restrain yourself for the 10 minutes you're on the Zoom call. I mean, it's yeah. it's almost like, what is the real underlying problem here, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. a- and I agree with you 100%. Why bother hiring him back when there's a thousand, if not a million people that could do that job even better? Obviously. That's right.
1: I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that Jeffrey Toobin is not allowed to work at a job anymore. I mean, he, obviously there are plenty of places where he can go, but to bring him back after that, it just it seems odd to me. Uh, just yeah, very, very strange. Yeah,
0: I agree. You know, there yeah. there used to be in in Times Square when I was a kid, there would be these uh, these booths. You know, you go into the booth, there'd be somebody dancing behind a glass, <laughs> and that's guys whacked off in those. Boots, and that's, you know, that was semi-appropriate, I guess. It was very private. Yeah. And you paid for it. But to do it on a Zoom meeting where you're talking about politics or, you know, social issues just seems very, very weirdly perverse also, you know? <laughs>
1: absolutely so you know the last time you were on was february 23rd i looked this up february 23rd 2020 this is right wow. right before covid steamrolled all of us with trump's help of course what was your yes. what was your life like uh during the lockdown larry were you strict about staying home and uh just yes, uh, isolating yes.
0: I was extremely strict about staying home. Um, my wife, who's a warrior was really, you know, she would go out. I, sometimes I'd ride in the car with her and I wouldn't get out of the car if she went into a market or a drugstore or something, mm-hmm. but I was, we were pretty strict about everything. We restricted, uh, you know, I have a, a six month old grandchild. Wow. I just saw her last week or so. So I didn't see my family in person for all that time. Yeah. Um, it was very, very locked down, locked down for me, you know, and, yeah. but the truth is also I'm a fairly, you know, I'm a fairly, I'm a homebody, you know, and I like the, having an excuse to not go out and not socialize anyway. <laughs> so it kind of like t- tied right into my, uh, my tendencies. So it worked, it worked out. <laughs> yeah. I actually had a kind of a productive lockdown, you know, I got work done. I was kind of focused. Uh, but I imagine for a lot of people, they, they were going crazy and couldn't wait to get outside.
1: Yeah, yeah. What were you doing during that time? You said you were uh, working quite a bit. Is there something that's uh, percolating on the horizon as far as another project?
0: There is some. I've just finished a, a movie that I, I, I started just around the time I last spoke to you and, and worked on remotely, basically, with editors uh, from my house Uh, And we just finished it and are about to turn it in. That's all I can say about it right this second. But Ah. yes, i made a movie. Yeah. You know, I actually made a documentary and I'm very excited about it. And I've also been writing a book, you know, and I've also been working on a couple of other movie projects and, uh, so I, I have been busy, you know, I have yeah. I have been busy, some stuff self-generated, stu- some stuff kind of for other people, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of kept me uh, engaged during this entire time as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm giving you a virtual elbow bump, Larry, because we're, we're kind of cut from the same cloth insofar as isolating wasn't much of a hassle for us because we kind of like to isolate, as you were saying before, that's, you're that's, kind of a homebody. Well, I am too. So in that respect, it wasn't all that challenging, but I do believe that there was a significant amount of trauma that came along with that Pandemic, and then all the politics we were dealing with around it, culminating in the insurrection, and so on. I believe millions of us, Larry, are suffering from some form of PTSD as a consequence of you all know, of that. You know, I
0: was ju- I was just talking about this with my wife yesterday. I read a piece in the Guardian by Francine Prose, a very fine writer. Yeah, she was talking about being online in a supermarket with her husband, their grandparents. You know, so they're older people, and the husband accidentally brushed past a thirty-year-old guy. And the guy completely freaked out, threatened them, threatened Mm -hmm. them with violence, waited outside for them. And she used that as kind of a jumping off point to discuss this very issue, which is something I have felt also. We've had this national trauma that we have not dealt with. And so there's this eruption of violence. There's all this pent up feelings and frustration. People have had tremendous loss. People have lost jobs, lost everything, really. Mm -hmm. And. We're just we're just kind of going back to normal, back to normal. But for a lot of people, that's kind of just a false promise. Yeah, you know, nothing will be back to normal for them. And unless we somehow have a kind of a therapeutic reckoning, this is the is this the new kind of this is the new normal. You know, yeah, eruptions of violence, random violence going on around us, and we have to sort of be aware of that. I think
1: that's very well put because I feel like our tendency is to deal with trauma by forgetting about the source of the trauma and there was no there was a thing that was going on for a couple of months there and this is sort of a side issue but it's kind of an example where i think a lot of uh, us on the left refuse to even mention donald trump by name we're calling him the former guy pretending that he doesn't even exist anymore but i feel right. like to an extent In order to heal as a nation, in order for us to individually heal and recover from that trauma, recover from the PTSD that I think is infecting a lot of us right now, we have to deal with those things, don't we? We have to reconcile those crimes. We have to reconcile the fact that Donald Trump precipitated an uncontrolled pandemic allowed it to just run its court run rampant through the country and ultimately kill, you know, more than half a million of us. I
0: mean, I would, I would go even further, Bob. I would say that, you know, we have uh, as a, as a country, we have a collective amnesia. Mm. I mean, I think it goes back even to the civil war. We never dealt with the the trauma of the civil war and we're sort of still feeling the effects of that today. Or the Vietnam War, for that matter, you know, all these men came back from the Vietnam War, broken, damaged, wounded, never, never dealt with. And it's true in Iraq and Afghanistan, too. I met a lot of veterans when I did the dangerous comedy show for Netflix and the amount of soldiers who have been through and the people, the families and the other people just surrounding them affected by it. that has never really been adequately addressed. I was seeing that yet again with the half a million deaths in the United States, and everybody just pretending like, "Oh, go out to a restaurant—that's what it's all about." Yeah. Instead of all the pain that we're all feeling to mm-hmm. one degree or another.
1: Did you lose anyone? Did you lose any of your people along
0: the way? I didn't. I was fortunate enough to not lose anybody, um, but I but I knew a, a number of people, at least peripherally, who who did succumb to it. And it was it was even on that level knowing somebody who's died. Uh, an unnatural death is, is a disturbing thing. And so I can only imagine and try to have empathy for people who who put themselves on the line, who sacrificed, who watched their family, uh, uh, you know, a, a father or a mother in a nursing home where they could never see them again, where they had to die alone. I mean, these are just like untold tragedies that are not being, you know, all the frontline workers that died mm-hmm. who really sacrificed their lives. They're like the soldiers of this war and they are not being dealt with they are not being you know taken care of just like the soldiers of vietnam and iraq you know so it's it's very sad on that level that we aren't like sort of having this kind of collective reckoning about that
1: yep and now we've got to rewire ourselves i think okay people aren't breathing as much poison anymore but they still might be breathing a little bit of poison
0: (laughs) i was just you know a couple of things about that one is you know we went into i went into a literally went into a market, a supermarket for the first time yesterday. Yeah. Okay. And in the market, there were people wearing masks and people not wearing masks. And you see this kind of like, you know, unspoken, nothing happened. And it was kind of an empty market, which was fortunate, but you feel this unspoken tension now between those that are wearing the mask to be courteous and considerate of others and those who have abandoned the mask completely. Mm -hmm. And you see that in a lot of other aspects of our lives still, where you, you know, people, some people are vaccinated, some people aren't, you know, there's just no national kind of unity on this of like, let's all get better mentally, physically, emotionally. No, there's nothing like that. There's no discussion of that even.
1: How do you intend to deal with that yourself as far as wearing a mask outside? Like, for example, with me, I'm inclined to, you know, enjoy the fact that I'm fully vaccinated and not wear a mask. However, I also don't want to be pegged as being one of these shirkers or refuseniks or, you know, Trump supporters who aren't wearing a mask for political reasons or to make a statement to own the libs or whatever it is. So where do yeah. you where do you land on that? Uh, what What's your personal policy going to end up being about? Uh,
0: just, I'm just going to be heavily armed. <laughs> no. I'm, I, I, I'm just kidding, but, um, I'll be lightly armed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think it's, I think it's a dilemma. I mean, I hate, I hate wearing a mask. You know, I hate yeah. it. Yeah. You know, um, I have a beard It messes up my beard. I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah. All those things are true, but I also am conscious of the fact that you know, in some situations still here in California you know, you have, you you do have this kind of a a split. And if the, if the supermarket is requesting you wear a mask, I think there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, Mm -hmm. let them, let, let us all be in the same place at the same time until we can take those masks off, you know? So I'm, I'm trying to uh, imagine myself in other people's shoes and I want them to feel the same consideration that I would expect, you know? Yeah. And so i it's 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 really a case by case basis. And it is really a dilemma because, um, you know, at some point, you, ha- you know, my son just flew in from Washington and he had to wear the mask on, on the plane, but it, you know, it's okay, but you have to take the mask off to drink. You have to do this. People complain yep. about wearing the mask. You can wind up on a, on a kind of tube airplane <laughs> and have people just really freaking out. <laughs> and the tensions that erupt over these things are just kind of, absurd and yet very, very real and potentially very tragic.
1: Yeah. Well, we're not really if we're vaccinated, we're not really required to uh, constantly walk around with a mask anymore, as we did during the, the belly of the pandemic there. But at the same time, I think there's something to be said for peace of mind. And I think wearing a mask if you choose to wear a mask indoors, or if the requirement is that you have to wear a mask, irrespective of whether you're vaccinated, for the benefit and safety of other people. And so I think continuing to leave, you know, the masks as an option, I think is beneficial for our national healing, don't you think?
0: Well, I think it's, I think there are two aspects to that, at least. One is that, you know, Trump really encouraged, this is one of the worst things that he did to the national psyche, but he encouraged the most immature, the most selfish aspects of ourselves. Some of the basest human traits he really encouraged and displayed Mm -hmm. himself, obviously. I think also here in California, they're talking about this honor system, you know? And it's like, really, are we honorable enough to have an honor system? I mean, you, you know, are you trusting everyone who's not wearing a mask to have been vaccinated or are they just saying they're vaccinated? Coming from Brooklyn, I tend to be skeptical of things like that. You know, people cheat. People fudge the truth. People yep. play with these things. And so the honor system is kind of like a very flawed system under those under those conditions.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Absolutely. Because, you know, I was at a restaurant. I had uh, lunch with my parents uh, over the weekend. And I'm looking at the chefs uh, in the back, the cooks at the diner, uh wearing masks sort of haphazardly sort of down around their necks or under their nose or whatever. Just right. they're not they're not doing it right. And while I'm rationally going well, I should be okay. I've got my two Pfizer vaccines. You know, I, I can drink this coffee without having to worry about this. Shouldn't I? <laughs> you know, and, and then my cynicism and my paranoia taps me on the shoulder, and I go, I don't trust those people. So what the hell am I doing here?
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's like real, it's yeah. really true. I mean, it is it is hard to feel completely confident. Mm-hmm. Still, I mean, maybe at some point, like in California, the you know, the death toll has dropped precipitously, you know, but I was looking at this map in the Guardian also yesterday about the Delta variant and where it's kind of starting to erupt again. And you see these these uh, states and these sections of the country, mostly in the Middle West, uh, the Middle and Northwest, uh, not the Northwest, but the, the Midwest yeah. and the Northern Midwest, that uh, where there have been this kind of, this, this stronger anti-vax kind of movement. And you see now the, the uh, variants sort of taking hold, you mm-hmm. know, and how is that going to spread out? And how is that going to affect things? And how is that going to affect progress? These are questions that just are simply not being dealt with.
1: That's right. And you know, there's another element to this that I think uh, hasn't quite occurred to us yet, which is that and this is going back to the trauma that we experienced uh, through this pandemic, and, and obviously, the political exacerbation of it is the social media element. The problem is that we're not only absorbing our own trauma, but the trauma of the people that we consider to be e friends, the people we know on social media as well. So there's a whole second layer that we kind of have to deal with, too, don't you think?
0: I, I think that's very true. And I think, again, that has kind of, uh, you know, sort of inspired and encouraged this sort of division to some degree, because you tend to gravitate towards social media people that are in your camp. I mean, I I make it a point, and you probably do too, of seeing what the most radical right-wing people are also thinking. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important to know what other people are thinking and what other people are saying, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but never the twain shall meet, though. You know, it's like there is this, this gulf that seems almost um, – irreconcilable at this point, you know.
1: Speaking of the crazy right-wingers, you you made some news during the uh, pandemic, during the lockdown, And this was not really a controversy, but it was an interesting perspective from someone who actually worked on the show. You were talking about how Kramer would have tried to become a Q member. We're talking about Seinfeld. Kramer would have tried to become a Q member if the show were still around today. Uh, Yes. Did you get a lot of backlash for that or did people mostly agree with you? Oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, Kramer would absolutely be a member of Q.
0: Yeah, most people did not um, really argue with me about that. They kind of just contributed their own sort of variations on it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, so I think it it did resonate in the sense that it kind of, if you you know that Kramer character, you know that that kind of made sense. Now, whether he, he would really plunge into it, whether he would try to take advantage of it, whether he would be the one that actually destroy it or whether he would be thought to be Q and that's something, that's something we could speculate on and have fun with. But I think yeah. the idea that, that he would be the one of that group to sort of be exploring that world made perfect sense to me.
1: Yeah, tell me what you make of this theory, uh, Larry. I think Kramer yeah. would have tried to become a Q member, but they would have kicked him out for some reason. Like like he tried to attend the insurrection, but he missed it because he stopped off for chicken and waffles or something like that. Then then eventually he decided they were just too weird for him. I'd like to think yeah. on some level Kramer would realize, maybe after being firsthand into it, that he go, okay, all right, that's just too crazy for even me, right? That's
0: Yeah, I mean I, I could see that I could see he and Newman showing up. there looking to like sell t-shirts or you know (laughs) doing something and then getting their photograph of the paper and being blamed you know, I, I can see all kinds of complications and different variations.
1: Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the the Q documentary series on HBO Max? Are you you following what they're all about?
0: I, you know, I have not seen the documentary, which I should. But I've done quite a bit of, you know, in, in places like the Daily Beast, and things like that. There's, there was a guy, Robert Guffey, I think, at one point, mm-hmm. who wrote a series of articles about them, and I, I've been keeping up with them. Um, so to speak. And I, um, I, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating, weird, strange phenomena that all only in America, you know, Yeah, right. Thing.
1: I mean, it's all a relatively simplistic prank carried out by, uh, these two guys, Ron and Jim Watkins in the Philippines, but yet so many Americans, uh, fell for it hook line and sinker. Yeah. I mean, what is this? Yeah. Well, they fell
0: for Trump too. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and there you had the evidence right before your eyes of, of who he really was. And people mm-hmm. still fell for it. Look, look, people send money to this day. People send money to tell evangelists, yeah. you know, people want to be led. Unfortunately, a lot of people anyway, uh, who, who, who talk about a free, having a free mind and free will basically want to be led. They don't want freedom. As Devo said, they don't want freedom of choice. They want freedom from choice. Mm -hmm. And uh, all these, you know, Trump, QAnon, televangelists, cults, whatever it is, uh, uh, alleviates the need for personal responsibility, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: Is this something that's more of a symptom of the Internet, or is this something that we've always kind of been susceptible to? Going back to, uh, you know, P.T. Barnum, there's a sucker born every minute and so on. Is this just uh, more of the same, or...?
0: I think the technology always plays a role whatever that technology may be because even PT Barnum got his message out through the available technology at yeah. the time. I but I do think it's a, it's a relatively um it's a, it's a, the the level of it is is relatively uniquely american, you know. I mean, I think as a result of a capitalist society where everything is promised to you, your dreams can be met and then the reality sets in. I think at that point, that gulf, that discrepancy mm-hmm. has to be filled by something. And a lot of people fill it through cults, through crazy beliefs, through distractions, you know, and, and like the UFO thing now, once again, is kind of rising up. And, it, and and of course, the government, I believe, is very happy about that because it, it, it sort of distracts us from the hardcore reality, the hardcore problems that we're facing, you know?
1: Is there any validity to all of that? Should we even be discussing it? I mean, is it just too much of a distraction to even bother with? Or is there some sort of a solid information there?
0: I did a video about it because what I believe very, very strongly, and I'm sure you're aware of this, I believe that it's, you know, I don't believe they are creatures from outer space. That I do not believe. I don't think there's a a shred of evidence (laughs) To prove that really. What I think is going on, I, there's no doubt that there's stuff flying around in the sky that we can't identify. But my view is going back to World War II, the Nazi scientists who were experimenting with aircraft. Um, you know, Werner von Braun and those people were brought over rather than being prosecuted for killing people. They were brought over to America to work for the American government. Uh, in Operation Paperclip, which is very well documented. Mm-hmm. And I believe, and they were taken to places like Area 51, where they did a lot of the experimentation. So it wouldn't surprise me. And what I basically do believe is that it's experimental aircraft. Um, some of them are. A lot of it is just like phenomena that, you know, can be explained uh, in other ways. But there's a certain percentage of this that I believe is our own doing. You know, that we are sort of experimenting on ourselves. And I think there is a kind of a a real valid argument to be made for that, more than almost any other explanation.
1: Yeah, you know, it seems to me, Larry, like we're looking at a phenomenon that we don't quite understand. And to make the leap from that video footage to aliens, I mean, that seems like a real stretch but for some reason we go right to that and I don't understand that it's like uh walking across your living room in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom you stub your toe and then you immediately go to well a ghost must have moved that table that that's why <laughs> i stub my toe on it
0: it just seems yeah, like a stretch it, doesn't it it's it's i think it's a stretch for sure but it's also easier mm. you know it's easier than the american government going hey you know what we let the Nazis into this country, you know, the Nazis are big enemies. We actually let them into this country. We actually encouraged them to continue doing their work, and this is the result of their work. That's that's kind of that would be an outrageous truth. Yeah. You know, the truth is out there, but the truth is more like that, I think, than an alien civilization. The the the, <laughs> the aliens it's what, one of the crazy things to me is that you look at cheap crappy 1950s science fiction movies and you think to yourself, how could they have possibly been right about this? You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So that to me is the biggest argument. You're basically believing in a grade Z Edward D. Wood, Edward D. Wood reality, you know, and that's absurd, you know. <laughs> it is so it's absurd that he would have gotten it right. Yeah, and we can't and yet we can't figure it out. So. That to me is like we, we're not ready to face the actual truth of UFOs yet, mm-hmm. you
1: know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. God, that's an understatement. I can't even imagine if these unidentified aerial phenomena were actually aliens. Can you imagine the reaction not only from the evangelical community, but also the broader uh conservative movement, the red hat Republican Trump supporting movement, the Q people, all the rest of them? Can you imagine the reaction? to aliens Uh, among us. I mean, I can imagine a rash of like people firing their AR-15s at anything that moves in the sky, you know, that kind of paranoia. It
0: it reminds me of District 9. It reminds me of even in Religious, we interviewed a a group called the Raelians who are led by this uh, former (laughs) French race car driver. They wear like 1950s spacesuits, and they believe that God was an alien and Mm -hmm. he came to, and they're trying to build the second temple in Jerusalem, but they don't want to build it like based on the Bible. They want to build it so that the saucers can land. So there's, there's people. It's it's an enjoyable fantasy that people take way, way too seriously. You know.
1: All right. We'll get back to our conversation with Larry Charles here in just one second. But first, you know, there's so much going on in the world that can make it difficult for us to relax and decompress in politics alone. In your Twitter mentions alone, you talk about scary every time I want to have the pants scared right off of me. I go look at my mentions on Twitter. Holy crap. But now I've got some good news. There are CBD gummies called Sunday Scaries. So if you're looking for a way to decompress, Sunday Scaries can help. They're not scary. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the Sunday Scaries. Visit sundayscaries.com. Use the promo code SEXYLIBERAL, all one word to check out to get 25% off your order. That's 25% off at sundayscaries.com with the promo code SEXYLIBERAL. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. These products are not for use by persons under the age of 18 years old. That's sundayscaries.com promo code sexyliberal. Thank you. The
0: Bob Seska Show.
1: In other news, uh it looks like it looks like the Republicans nominated Curtis Sliwa for mayor uh, of your hometown, New York City. This is the wow. tr- this is the Trump effect, right? Plain and simple. A tabloid weirdo masquerading as a legitimate political leader. It's is that, is that what we're kind of looking at here?
0: Well, I think, you know, it, it really began in a sense with, it really began with Reagan in a way. I mean, I remember, yeah. you know, I, I was a lot younger then, but I remember just going, you got to be kidding me. The guy from <laughs> bedtime from Bonzo is going to be president. <laughs> right. He became president and now people are nostalgic for that time. Yeah. You know, you've had Jesse Ventura. You've had a lot of people who were like, you know, populists who sort of capture a moment and look, with the with the, dem- the Democratic uh, candidates in New York City did not acquit themselves very well. They behaved badly. You know, Yang and Eric mm. Adams, they may not even be New Yorkers, you know. And so it was, you know, there's not a lot of confidence in the Democrats these days. And I think that's justified. And someone like Curtis Sliwa, who's been around a long time, who's been in the public a long time, could possibly capture that moment, you know? Yeah, well, he
1: certainly got the name recognition, and that's what I think and they're that, banking and that, on. That, right?
0: that counts for a lot these days, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That may be all you need is name recognition, which is pathetic But again, look what happened with Trump. You know, that's all he had going for him, too. Yeah. Was this inevitable uh,
1: because of our obsession with things like reality television celebrities and being famous for being famous? Is that sort of the uh, you know, now we're elevating leaders who probably have no business being anywhere near political leadership? Is is that all percolating out of? uh, reality television. I mean, you said Reagan, uh, and that predated reality television. So it may not even be that.
0: I I think that, you know, reality television, Reagan, all of these things are are, are a symptom of something larger, which is the de-education or the miseducation of the American Mm -hmm. public. You know, we don't know what we used to know. We are not curious about how things are. We want to be told about this is the way it is instead of looking at, you know, finding out for ourselves and getting all the information and not arriving at a conclusion so quickly, but staying open minded. To me, that that closing down of the American mind is what breeds this kind of stuff, you know? Was there
1: an advantage to having three networks uh, for so many years where the news was pretty much condensed into those three or four sources rather than, you know, the democratization of information, which is the internet, and, you know, the downside being something that I've been observing for some time now, which is our inability, at least as Americans, to be able to absorb that glut of information. So was there an advantage to having... Uh, Gatekeepers at uh, the three major networks.
0: Well, I think you 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 know, and the same thing was true with newspapers as well. I mean, you had you know the New York Times and the Washington Post, which still carry a little bit of weight, but not like they used to. Uh, You know, I think there there is some validity to that argument. At the same time, they were choosing what we heard about as well. You know, and. And I think there should be a natural skepticism about any source, really. We should be questioning all these sources. The problem is there is no discrimination between, you know, completely ignorant, you know, uh, sources of information and pretty well-informed sources of information. They all have equality now. And so there's no judgment being made. It's all Mm -hmm. being given equal time, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It just seems like the vast nature of the information that we're receiving now through the internet, especially through social media, is being seized upon and weaponized to create this entire network of disinformation. Which, uh, as you're, we've seen, right tragic, yeah, too, tragic. Yeah, to tragic results. We, right.
0: We do live in a disinformation, misinformation world where yeah. people, you know, people believe in flat Earth, you know, as well as other crazy things, mm-hmm. and. That that is true. We've kind of uh, we have become, I think, again, this goes back to the national psyche and the PTSD. We're overwhelmed. You know, we are just simply overwhelmed with information. And there is almost no way for the brain. Our brains are not yet wired to absorb it and be discreet about it and be judicious about it. Mm -hmm. So people are just absorbing stuff. And taking the easiest things the stuff that sticks to the wall and kind of living their philosophy by those kind of ideas
1: yeah yeah how do you as an entertainer uh larry as someone who deals in television and movies how do we use those platforms to uh, do some sort of educating of the public i mean how do we exploit uh, television movies pop culture in general to get some, you know, some hardcore information out to people, because I get the sense that if we leave it to government, we're going to be waiting a long, long time for that information to arrive uh, to to save ourselves. Well, I, basically,
0: I think entertainment suffers from the same issues as, as you know they they are part of this kind of problem, and there's just so much. There's such a because of the the desire to, for profit, there is just so much stuff out there that it's it's hard it's overwhelming as well the choices are overwhelming and so people are you know what's getting marketed the most what gets the most attention in the press these are the things that get that get people sort of paying attention and a lot of the stuff that you're talking about that that is more open-minded that is more contrary that is asking important questions that's or provocative questions at least that's the kind of stuff that that doesn't feel commercial to the people that are distributing it now, and so it winds up not getting the attention, not getting the audience, and not having the discussions around it that would sort of you know expand our minds properly. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I always get nervous that television and entertainment, in, in particular, is um, too interested in reinforcing bias among its target demographics. For example, things that, uh, you know, we believe uh, get reflected back on us, and then it becomes this endless loop of madness where, you know, you can see it just happening on Fox News alone, where everyone's bi- the audience's bias is the reason Fox News exists in the first place. So obviously it's going to continue to reinforce that. And there's going to be nothing to shake all of those people out of their... You know, hypnosis as they watch Hannity yeah, and Tucker Carlson. I, th- I
0: think the entertainment companies are are definitely uh, invested in maintaining the status quo for the most part. Mm-hmm. And when it, when it when it sort of um, when that explodes, it explodes by accident in some sort of organic way that can't be predicted. Everything is about trying to quantify this creativity and maintaining the status quo. And occasionally, something slips through that sort of breaks free of that. And the audience who was desperate for something like that will, will gravitate towards it, but it only happens to a large degree by accident.
1: Well, you know, and this is, I'm not trying to to blow smoke or anything uh, like that when I say this, but that's why I felt like your series on Netflix, the dangerous world of comedy was so important, especially in the post Bourdain world where I think what he was doing on television was so immensely important and independently, you did a similar kind of thing where you were not only being entertaining with Dangerous World of Comedy, but you were also educating the public in terms of culture, uh, what some of these, you know, because we hear a lot about demonized cultures and we hear a a filtered message about what they're thinking in these cultures, but you presented a different angle on that. It was immensely important. Uh, So I feel like there needs to be more of that, more of Dangerous Dangerous world of comedy. I mean, there is there any potential for another season of that?
0: Uh, I would love to do more. Of course, the traveling now has you know it's oh, like yeah, in the wake yeah. of all, everything that's happened. The traveling is almost the traveling that I did for that show is almost impossible right now, mm-hmm. certainly today. Um, but I agree with you. I I, I felt myself. I mean, look, I, I I shot a lot more stuff than wound up being on the four episodes. And I had a whole plan for another season with a lot more stuff. But again, you know, and it's, and by the way, it's still on Netflix, which I'm very happy about. They yeah. literally, you know, while stuff gets pulled off there all the time, that's still in there and you can still see it. But yes, I think that there's a whole world that we don't really know about that would really illuminate the way we see ourselves by seeing how other people are and how similar they are to us. And that was one of the biggest lessons of Dangerous Comedy for me was, wow, these are just in Iraq or Somalia or Liberia, or wherever, Saudi Arabia, they have, they're families and people who want security. They want education. Yeah. They, want, they want to be able to earn a living. You know, they want to be able to laugh and relax. They don't want to have to run from their homes all the time. And that to me is, is you know, you put yourself in the, those shoes. You imagine people in America having to do that. And you realize how close we are to those other uh, cultures, you know? And you know
1: what? Look, I'd love to get your take on this. Um, It it feels like... The United States is slowly becoming an apartheid state, with red states becoming increasingly hostile to blacks, LGBTQ people, Latinos, women of all races, of course. Do you see a migration occurring where people begin to flee the states that are rolling back voting rights and reproductive rights, et cetera, while relaxing gun control laws? Is there going to be some sort of mass migration around the political division that's occurring here?
0: Well, I think absolutely. And I think you sort of see that happen. You see people in California and not that California is the most liberal place in the world, but it it does tend to have some of the biggest liberal pockets in the world. And you see a lot of you see this migration taking place from California to Texas. But okay, people go to Texas. What's going to happen there? You have climate change that's destroying the environment there Mm -hmm. and it's going to become unlivable. The Southwest will become unlivable, you know? So there's also that climate aspect to things that, that that is playing a role in this as well. I think that you do have what I would consider almost like a modern or the, the, um, an impending modern version of a civil war. So it's not North and South, it's different regions with different beliefs, you know, separating from each other, So that the concept of the United States has kind of become absurd, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I hope at some point in the not-too-distant future, there is some major pendulum swing where we reacquaint ourselves with what's real, what's necessary, Uh, democracy as a value. Uh, It seems like we're losing that as well in all of this, too, don't you think? Uh
0: I agree. I, I think I think it has been lost to some degree, and I think we're just kind of realizing that you know that we kind of let that slip through our hands when we had a chance to solidify it. And I, and you know, again, it goes back to the education system, and it goes back to climate change. It, it, all these things factor into what young people will absorb going forward. You know, yeah. will they have access to the full range of truth and information, or will they be narrow? you know, critical race theory and cancel culture All these things are just sort of thrown out there. But what, are the, what does it really mean? You know, where yeah. is the truth? Where is the information so people can make a decision for themselves? That's the part that's hard to sort of figure out. How are people gonna have access to the information if there's only certain people controlling it.
1: Yeah, my concern, Larry, is that as the Republicans chip away at democracy with these voting rights laws and so on, or not, they're not voting rights laws, they're stripping voting rights. Um, Yeah. And as that uh, process proceeds, it seems like as democracy is rolled back, as uh, civil rights are rolled back in this country, that the people it's not going to affect are the white wealthy people, they're going to be just fine. Democracy is going to be stripped away for everyone else, but the rich white people are going to be completely impervious to any of those changes, right?
0: Uh, Well, I think it's, it's, it's it's even a bigger issue that predates that because I think this country has always been, you know, selling this idea of democracy and equality, but really having been run almost the entire time from the founding fathers on, by a white privileged elitist class mm-hmm. and that's still that's still our reality we just it's kind of kept in the shadow the truth of that is kept in the shadows to some degree and a lot of people feel even comforted by that yeah. which is kind of part of the perversity of it but i think until that is sort of uh, uh, brought to light you know i think that we're going to be sort of like controlled by the same forces that have been controlling this country all along, you know, if you listen to late George Carlin, he talks a lot about this, about how meaningless the politicians are, and when you see the Democrats' response to this, the voting rights thing, and you, only AOC is the only person who is saying the truth about it. That it seems crazy that a minority of people can keep millions and millions of people from having equal rights. You know, that's. The fact that that's a reality has always been a reality is Mm -hmm. something that we don't seem to be ready to reckon with.
1: Oh, yeah. We should have seen this coming. The fact that the Republicans are increasingly marginalized, that they're losing the demographic war in this country. Uh, And so ultimately, and I think they've already lost the culture war. I think uh, the United States is culturally, and this is beyond politics, we are culturally liberal here, and they see that. They recognize that. So the only way... They can maintain any sort of foothold in politics is to pass laws like these uh, uh, voting restrictions, disenfranchisement laws, uh, reproductive law where, you know, the the Texas anti-abortion law where it bans abortions at six weeks. These are all the sorts of things that they're doing because it's kind of and I'm kind of trying to put a positive spin on this, Larry, it's kind of a death rattle for them. It just seems like that may be the case. I hope it's the case. How do you perceive this as far as where the Republicans are going by just stripping any pretense of wanting to do good for the country and just protecting their own asses?
0: I I totally agree with you. I mean, to use a Seinfeld expression, the Republicans, the the white majority in this country are are suffering from shrinkage, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that's that's what's going on yeah and you cannot fight that demographic you know yeah. it's like that is a reality and the only problem is it may take a long time may take many years before that evolution really takes place you mm-hmm. know and it, it happens very slowly in increments but I absolutely agree that that is what's going on and so as a defensive mechanism, they have become that much more Machiavellian yeah. because they realize they can't win with their message, they can't win with the numbers. So they have to play these kind of very, very strategic games to win. And the Democrats, people like Schumer, who are lifetime hack politicians, ultimately do not have a defense against it. Whereas I think if the squad was in charge, I think we would be sort of we would be in much better shape in terms of things like voting rights women's rights lbgt rights all those things would really be much more pushed forward you know if if the people in charge were willing to would take on those battles yeah yeah know.
1: I you know, I get the sense that they are having an influence on the House side because ultimately, while we're all tearing our hair out over what's happening on the Senate side with Mansions Cinema, uh, the fact that Chuck Schumer is a little bit too affable, I think, for the modern blood sport of politics. But at the right. same time, the House has really passed a lot of the things that have been on our wish list at least this year. I mean, the For the People Act was passed. The George Floyd Police Reform Act was passed through the House. The real road block is happening on that Senate side what do you make of people like Kirsten cinema do you know anyone who actually likes Kirsten cinema I don't I don't know anyone <laughs> I, I
0: I can't see how you could like her I don't yeah. understand what her what the, the appeal is really I mean she, she's not really you know it's she's not really taking any position she's being safe she didn't show up for these votes you know she's she's failing as a politician. And all that does is give the Republicans an, another shot at that Senate seat the next time it comes up. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I think on so many levels, she's failing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember when Arizona was a blue state when I was younger and, and Udall was the governor. You know, it was like considered it was considered an environmentally friendly blue state. And somehow or another, it's evolved into this other place. And now they have a Democratic senator. I don't know how Mark Kelly's doing. But they have a Democratic senator who's basically a Democrat in Republican's clothing, or Republican in Democrat's clothing, however you want to put it. Yeah. But that, to me, is the is the problem. You don't have people with strong convictions. You have people who are politicians who are only thinking about getting reelected. Mm-hmm. And that's a danger. That's a danger of the democracy.
1: It doesn't make any sense why a freshman senator would go out of her way like this to literally irritate every Democrat in the country. I mean, that's ex- exactly what she's doing. Whether it was the curtsy when she voted down the uh, minimum wage hike. Right, uh, right. To just laughing at uh, any reporter that asks her a question about this vote or that vote or the filibuster. She'll just laugh it off as if it's just a joke. And just, again, I don't know what motivates that. I don't understand the political calculus of what she's doing. Other than she seems to think that if she pisses off every Democrat in the country, that she's going to somehow get reelected in 2024. It doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Well, let's let's hope that she that the, those are the, that the consequences are that she's voted out of office and a, yeah. and a and a more proper progressive person takes her place. You know, mm-hmm. but the truth is, as we see again and again, there are a lot of frivolous politicians. A lot of foolish politicians, a lot of ignorant politicians with a tremendous amount of power in this country. And yeah. that is a scary thing. Yeah. Well, like, for
1: example, Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is insufferable with what he's doing with the power that he has right now. Because the reason Joe Manchin is a thing is the 50 50 Senate. It gives him the ability right. to be able to, you know, throw some elbows around. But at the same time, he's not being an absolute dick about it style wise where Kirsten right. Cinema is doing the same kind of things Joe Manchin is doing, but she's being an a-hole about it. She's,
0: I don't know what the fuck is, uh, is motivating she, that. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. I mean, and there's no logic to it. It's not like, a, it's not a good, it's not a good strategy. No. You know, I mean, she, like you said, she's alienating everybody who basically supported her And that's not going to be a good strategy in the end, you know, but you do see so many politicians who are compromising for one reason or another, who are ready to abandon their ideals in order to stay in power. Power is very intoxicating. And I think uh, uh, the corridors of power in Washington really encourage that kind of um, insulated thinking, you know, that bubble thinking of like, wow, I'm getting respect, I'm getting attention, I'm getting power, Well, they don't see that back home, people are turned off and alienated by what they're representing.
1: What do you think is going to happen in the midterms? Uh, I know we're a bit of a distance away, but uh, I think people are starting to look ahead, see whether we can expand our majorities in in Congress. What what do you think? What's going to happen?
0: I think, you know, look, I, I think unless the Democrats really throw down the gauntlet a little bit, unless there's some, you know, indictments of the Trump people you know, I see Merrick Garland is bailing on the DOG right now. Um, You know, unless they take some more bold stances on some of these issues, I think the Democrats could be in big trouble again in 2022. I mean, historically, the midterm elections are usually bad for the people in power. And I don't think the Democrats are doing anything to to offset that not enough anyway, on a national level.
1: You know, I, uh, before we wrap up here, Larry, I really enjoy your, uh, Instagram videos. You mentioned those uh, a second ago. Uh, what, what prompted you to, uh, you know, turn the camera around and start, uh, shooting these videos?
0: Well, there were two things. One was, you know, I, I started writing tweets that were just simply too long, you know, and <laughs> I, I didn't, what, what should I do with these? You know, I would write like a two minute tweet and it's like, I can't, you know, publish it. So yeah. I started thinking about what else I could do. And I've been very um, influenced in dangerous comedy going around the world and seeing people just doing that very same thing, like doing yeah. their version of the Daily Show from their house, you know, and then seeing people on Instagram and TikTok who do their own videos to just express themselves. And I thought, you know, this strips away a lot of the nonsense. You can just say what you want. It's very journalistic. It's very, uh, it's very much in the moment. And it seemed like a very immediate way to make contact, to communicate these ideas. And I found it to be, you know, appealing, you know, on that level. It's very, um, it's, it's very, it's a non, it's a non, it's a way of, Expressing and communicating without having to go through the mass media.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, with Instagram, uh, I kind of like the comfort of Instagram. And, and what I mean by that is it's fairly straightforward. It's video, yeah. text, you pop it up there, people who follow you see it. There's a lot of bullshit that happens with Facebook. And although Facebook owns Instagram now, I think they're leaving yeah. Instagram pretty much intact as far as, uh, how the platform functions. And so in that respect, doing these video commentaries on Instagram it is actually really good for getting the message out because yeah. I think a lot of it's people. Very, yeah. It's,
0: yeah. It's very pure. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I'm troubled by the fact that Zuckerberg owns it, but the fact of the matter is that it seems like it's a good outlet for people to express themselves. And that's, you know, when I started realizing that it was, that's when I started to take advantage of it.
1: You getting some good feedback on it?
0: I get tremendous feedback on it. I really do. And I really appreciate it because I, I, you know, when I say something that resonates, people let me know that good or bad. I mean, even when it's, I I don't mind, and I'm very used to at this point, negative feedback as well. (laughs) I encourage it all, you know, I don't mind that at all. Um, You know, when it starts to kind of slip into death threats or anti-Semitic insults, that's one thing, (laughs) but I'm, I'm a believer in free speech. And so if you don't agree, that's cool, you know, That's what I like about it. You know, you can you can say what you want and you get back, you get back the responses that, you know, people have as well. And so it's a very passionate sort of uh, interplay. Do you get a lot of trolls? No, I don't actually, but I get a few. And, you know, some of them are are, are sort of responsible responses to disagreeing with me. And some of them are just insane. (laughs) And, um, you know, that's kind of the price that you pay for being out there in a way.
1: Well, the Instagram account is uh, at Larry Charles, uh, the traditional spelling of both both names there, all one word. And uh, Larry, it's such a pleasure to talk to you again. And I'm, I apologize, we had some internet issues throughout the way. I cut all that shit out of the show, but <laughs> suffice to say, we had a couple of internet outages that interrupted. Thank you so much for, for being patient with all that. And, of course, the uh, the Netflix series Dangerous World of Comedy is a must-watch. Please, if you have an opportunity to keep doing that, uh, I would uh, be in the front row applauding it because uh, really, really good stuff and certainly uh, immensely important.
0: Well, I'm happy to do it anytime, Bob. I, I just enjoy your voice, actually. And I but I'm happy to talk to you anytime you want. And also hopefully the next time. I can talk in more detail about some of these other projects as well, because so I think they'll excite you. Yes,
1: absolutely. You're, you got to come on. As soon as you're ready to talk about it, let me know. Drop me a DM. We'll have you back on, and we'll go over all of it. I can't fucking wait.
0: Sounds cool, man. Thank you again.
1: Thanks so much, Larry. Take it easy, my friend.
0: Talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.